Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. You may have seen a recent article in InsideHigherEd.com that began, Wyoming Catholic College has a lot of unusual things about it, each enough to merit a story in itself. Wyoming Catholic is a conservative Catholic college that educates students in the great books and Catholic tradition. It also teaches horsemanship and bans cell phones on campus. I love that. And it turned down federal funding. President Glenn Arbery describes the mission this way. This college is engaged in deep ways with the agony of a culture that has lost its spiritual center. We're adventurous and poetic and deeply Catholic. He likes to cite Dostoevsky in Crime and Punishment. Low ceilings are bad for the soul. The ceilings rise at Wyoming Catholic, which is located in the foothills of the Wind River Mountains, the curriculum centers in the Western tradition. Its Catholic identity builds upon Thomas Aquinas and the magisterium of the Catholic Church and engaging with God in the wilderness. Find out more at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us today Deal Hudson. He is the founder of the Christian Review and author of How to Keep from Losing Your Mind, Educating Yourself Classically to Resist Cultural Indoctrination. I like that title. Welcome, Deal. Thank you for joining us. Good to be back, Mark. Good okay. to be back. Well, you, you have a recent book that came across my desk. It is entitled 365 Days of Catholic Wisdom, A Treasury of Truth, Beauty, and Goodness. Uh, first of all, just give us the format of the book very quickly. Well, the format is uh, it's got 365 days, just day one, day two, you know, not January 1, January 2. Yep. Uh and so you've got 365 readings that I have pulled out of uh, theology, spirituality, history, philosophy. Um, I pulled it out from spiritual writings, yep. things, saints, popes, bishops, uh, and a whole lot of uh, of the great laypersons of the Church, you know, like Dorothy Sayers and G.K. Chesterton and Hilar Billock. Yep. And I've just, I, but I've tried to stay from the, away from the ones that were too well known. Yeah. I've tried to go for the uh, lesser known and maybe a little bit obscure in the sense that people haven't seen them before, because I'm hoping that people will be surprised every time they turn the page. You call it a treasury. And so this is like a resource that people should keep at their bedside. It's, it's there all year long to use, to dip well, I, into. I kind of yeah. prefer it to be next to morning coffee. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay. But, you know, uh, this drop, really drop that internet. Of, ha, this grew out of my uh, How to Keep from Losing Your Mind because the message in there was, you know, set your mind on, on things that really benefit you. Put on the mind of Christ. Yeah. And you can't do that if you're listening or watching or playing a bunch of junk all the time. And in a virtual world like we live in, that's a tremendous temptation. Our young people are oh, practically, yeah. I don't say addicted, but they certainly spend hours and hours, you know, with their thumbs. I don't know what's going to happen to thumb surgery. You could best <laughs> in it for next, you know, next decade or two. But uh, this is, so this is a compendium of, of readings, many of which led me into the church at the age of 34 and many of which have uh, been important to me on my journey uh, since I became a Catholic 30, what, six years ago. Uh, 
so I think people will will sense that there's a lot of uh, my personal, uh, how should I say, passion in it. Yeah. Uh, this is not just meant to be a bunch of uh, sort of detached uh, abstract readings at all. Right. You want, you have. I want them to hit hit them in the gut. We have the selections, and then we have your commentary. Sometimes your commentary is factual about who this person was, what might be an important context for the particular quotation, but also then some commentary from you as well for each for each one. So there's a. It seems to me there's a there is the gratification of acquiring the wisdom. There's also a sort of anthology element to it that you know you're 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 trying to preserve a uh, a body of a body of wisdom to pass it on to others yeah but i'm really trying to get people you know the more people that read an author and then decide hey i want to read more of that author uh that's what i'm hoping will happen they'll come across an author that maybe they've only heard of or maybe they don't know about they say, oh, this is really good. I want to read more. Yeah. I want to read more of this. Yeah. Now, let I mean, me that ask would you... really, really be uh, satisfac- satisfaction yeah. in terms of me as an author to the reader. In calling it Catholic wisdom, uh, what specific were, were there any themes or specific elements of Catholicism that you, you found coming up again and again? Well, you know, it's interesting you asked that. I kept finding lots of very powerful work uh, remarks about evil, about Satan, mm-hmm. uh, about fallenness. Um, I think there's a tendency for many of us, especially who live in this country, which is so, you know, really so different from many other countries in the world in terms of standard of life, to overlook how hard and often tragic lives are. The other thing we do is we judge from the outside. You know, we, we look at people who seem to have everything, but as you, as you and I both know, and your listeners know, on the inside there could be huge, huge suffering going on, you know, for because that's what life often brings, yeah. e- even to those who have succeeded in the world in the eyes of others. So a lot of these passages spoke to me, and I wanted them to be uh, part of the spiritual journey of reading the book. Hmm. It should be a journey, yes. It's 365 steps. And let me give people a flavor of the kind of passages you pick. I came across a striking one for me on day 16. It's from Chesterton, and I'm going to read it and then ask you why you chose this one. What, 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 what appealed to you about it? Mm-hmm. It goes like this. All Christianity concentrates on the man at the crossroads. The vast and shallow philosophies, the huge syntheses of humbug, all talk about ages and evolution and ultimate developments. The true philosophy is concerned with the instant. Will a man take this road or that? That is the only thing to think about if you enjoy thinking. The instant is really awful. And it, has, and it is because our religion has intensely felt the instant that it has in literature dealt with much in battle and in theology dealt with much dealt much with hell it is full of danger like a boy's book it is in immortal crisis 
That I, I love that, well, that Neil. That was me. that was good. But why why you? Why why'd you pick that? Well, I mean, you know, they say existentialism is the atheist faith. It's not. Uh, there you see an example of where existentialism came from. It came from the notion of the Christian notion of kairos, uh, a kind of time that supersedes chronos, which is just you know chronological time. This is time that you know every moment we stand before God, every moment we're confronted by God, every moment we're confronted with moral choices, uh, which include all of our uh, dispositions toward others, our dispositions toward ourselves. I mean, a lot of people think they can harm themselves, and it's okay because it's not somebody else. It's my body. You know, it's my soul. But, uh, you know, we are enjoined to love ourselves, too. We're also told if we don't love ourselves, we can't love others. So I think that uh, Chesterton, so, I mean, in, in only a way he could, using the, the language the way he does, reminds us that every moment is awesome in the sense that we are in awe of being alive, of existing, yeah. and standing before the God who created us. Let's step out for a moment from the the passages, the quotations, to pose a big question for you. Now, now, deal. What do we need to consult all these old 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 people for? I mean, we don't we know so much more than they do. Haven't we created a more just world than they have? Aren't we just fine? Without them, I mean, we have our own wisdom. Let's just rely on our own judgment. Come on. What do you say? Nonsense. <laughs> uh, total nonsense. And, uh, you know, the fact that the Lord gave us a book of revealed wisdom, which uh, was done long ago, centuries ago, would tell you that we have been improved on what was given to us then and and what has come down to us through the great spiritual, philosophical, moral minds uh, and examples of the centuries. I mean, this whole cancel culture thing is, is so dangerous because, uh, as George Santayana said in words that are on the exit door to Dachau, the concentration camp, he says, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Hmm. And so we have, I mean, this gift of wisdom that we receive from great books, great music, great art, great film, uh, is all there to, to, as it were, help us to avoid the pitfalls, the dangers, and the self-destructive behavior of, of, of humankind before us. Yeah. Or maybe even better put, to recover from those missteps, you know? To pick your, to be able to go on in spite of the guilt and the shame, so it's about redemption too. So it's uh, at one on the one hand we're looking at being at the joy of being created, of being given life, and on the other of uh, the challenge of living it well according to His law and to His will, and that's a difficult thing to do. And so, yeah, we need help from the past, you know, starting with Scripture, which, of course, goes all the way back to um, the beginning of, uh, of Abraham, and through to the revelation of John on the Isle of Patmos. We, we need that, all that wisdom yeah. to lead our lives. Is this one of the implicit 
purposes of the book to try to get around that whole presentist bias and see that you know the voices of the dead are a resource they're here to help they're here to guide well you know uh mark there's been a presentist bias ever since the beginning of recorded history i mean it, it's just part of human folly in every generation to think you know better than your elders or you know better than the traditions and the values that you inherited, what your, what your parents or your elders or your teachers told you. Uh, and that's just simple pride. You know, all of us suffer from it. Sometimes it gets the better of an entire generation. Sometimes it gets the better of an entire nation or ethnicity or culture. And then that's when things get really, really dangerous and destructive and hurtful and hateful. Because that releases the hate, hatefulness of superiority over others. Yeah. All, all those others who follow the traditions that you've rejected. Let's pause for a moment for what I believe is one of the best schools of higher learning in the country, the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving, Texas, and Rome, Italy, UD offers a rigorous and exciting core curriculum that sets it apart, an education rooted in the great works of Catholic and Western tradition, an education that ennobles and enables students in their pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue. Fidelity to man requires fidelity to the truth, which alone is the guarantee of freedom and of the possibility of integral human development. Those are the words of Pope Benedict, quoted at the University of Dallas, and guiding educators in all the departments of the university. Undergraduate, graduate, and certificate programs are available. Start your college odyssey at the University of Dallas today. Go to udallas.edu. To learn more. Day 29 is Pascal's Wager. Uh, what, what is, why don't you go ahead and rehearse the wager for us? Uh, that may be an argument in itself. Well, you know, what I find fascinating about Pascal's Wager is that he has a very good point. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that is... It's not complicated, uh, is it? No. I mean, you, you choose whether to believe in God or not. Now, if you choose not to, and God exists, you're going to eternal damnation. If you choose to believe, and if, even if you doubt, and God exists, you're going to heaven. But if God doesn't exist, it doesn't matter. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> and that's the wager. There's, you know, I don't know. I mean, which is the winning side is pretty clear. Uh, it's it's a it's a no loss right uh, choice. For, for you to make and let yeah let's let's have young people let's uh, young people hear that uh, well, let 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 them that. know I mean, let them see this the, the point of, of of pascal's point which i'm sure he he wrote that with a smile maybe a little chuckle yeah 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 uh, is that you good writing prompts you to reflection right it's not about giving you things to you know just swallow and believe i'll sell it's about your thoughtfulness, your reflection. Uh, you're digging deeper than you've dug before uh, to make you stop and slow down and reflect. And, you know, once you've done that, once you find out what that feels like, it's really enjoyable. When I'm writing a book or struggling over, you know, a page or a chapter, I mean, I look up and hours are just vanished. I didn't even notice it. Hmm. Hmm. And I'm smiling and I'm relaxed and I, you know, I feel like I've actually done something, you know, worthy of being a human being. I, I also feel relief, Deal, when I say, you know, I don't have to figure all this out by myself. 
isn't that the truth? <laughs> it's like it's like learning to play a sport, right? You know, I mean, I of course I'm a big golfer, and and I'm amazed at the people who try to teach themselves golf and never get anywhere. And, yeah. And when it the beginning of a good good golfing are so simple, the grip and so forth, the stance, they're so simple. And if they would take just an hour with someone who could, you know, professional, then all of a sudden they're really playing. They're not just sitting there and be, you know, beating balls to death and making themselves unhappy. I mean, yes, we need teachers, right? In anything we do. That's why children need parents. They need teachers. Well, come, I'm deal. I mean, I've always learned more from my students than they ever learned from me, right? Oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, I, I get that. I learned a lot from my students, too. But, you know, I learned a lot from preparing to teach them. Well, the, the deal, but when, when I would hear, you know, ed school people say that, I would say, well, then why am I not paying them? Right. You know, so, hey, okay, day 51, you've, you've got a nice Flannery O'Connor statement that inverts the wisdom of the present. She says, in the absence of faith, the absence of faith, we govern by tenderness. And and that sounds good, but not to her. She continues, when tenderness is detached from the source of tenderness, she means God, its logical outcome is terror. It ends in forced labor camps and in the fumes of the gas chamber. What is, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, would, would, doesn't that sound doesn't that sound extreme to to a, a millennial who wants everyone to love one another? Well, it would to anything. Sound any bit of wisdom or good advice sounds strange to a millennial. <laughs> uh, you know, they don't. They you know they're often in such a state of mind that they don't. You know, they don't know something good when it hits them you know, over the over the head. But the point when I first read that, I mean, it staggered me. It was so. So insightful, so penetrating into human existence. And this, you know, she wrote that as an introduction to a book about a young, a young child who was severely disfigured, and her parents. Uh, and really, to look at her is really, you know, really tough even to see a picture of. Her, uh, gave her to the Longhorn Sisters down in Atlanta where they had the Hawthorne Sisters took care of people who were dying, of course. And the, uh, they thought, the parents thought she'd be dead in six months, and so they handed them off to four Hawthorne sisters. But, the, you know, the love of the Hawthorne sisters and the faith of this, this wonderful child, you know, kept her alive for, for several years, and she became a witness to the faith hmm. that was, you know, powerful to the Dominican sisters and to Flannery. And the point is, tenderness would have said, put her out of her misery, let her die. And that's when it said, we don't want people to suffer. Why are you letting this young woman suffer, being who she is, what she looks like, and, you know, and all of her limitations? So, you know, this idea to uh, alleviate suffering through tenderness leads to the worst genocides in human history. Now, Walker Percy said this once again in his book, Thanatos Syndrome, but when uh, he was asked, did he get it from Flannery? He said he never recalled reading it in Flannery, O'Connor. Hmm. But it's, it's pretty much the same language, the same line. 
Well, I can just say in, in my own experience, uh, say in academia, that the uh, people who talked the most about tolerance and inclusion uh, were often the most ruthless people on campus. Well, you know, the first time I ever had a college class in ethics where we talked about abortion, right away this uh, married woman with kids stuck up her hand and said, I'm for abortion because I love children. Oh, Okay. And I mean, did that stop me in my tracks? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, that, that had no relation to any conception of love that I knew. Or, I mean, I then figured out this is the kind of tenderness that leads to the gas chambers. Right. Right? Right. And, you know, I don't know whose suffering she wanted to leave. Maybe, the, you know, the suffering of a child being born to parents who don't want them. That's probably what she was implying. Uh you know, there's a better debate when it, when severely handicapped children are being born. I understand that debate. That that's a debate I would have if I was a parent. Yeah. But yeah. to to uh, center on the suffering of a mother or father who don't want a child, let the child come into the world. The world will will the, the child will find love. The child will find love, even if they don't. The child doesn't get it from yeah. the parents. You've got a great little episode from Malcolm Muggeridge. It's on day 79 of your book. It comes from him recounting a time when he went to Bethlehem with a film crew and what he saw there. There was a lot of commercial activity going on outside, the, the sort of the manger area, but he saw something different on the inside and it affected him. What happened there? You need to read that and remind me what happened. Read, read a little bit of that to me. It is where he sees that on the outside, they're turning it into Disneyland. They're selling things, trinkets. It's a, like a tourist destination. But when you cross that portal and go inside, it all stops. People actually turn reverent. He's talking about the Church of the Holy Sepulcher okay. in Jerusalem. Okay. I've been privileged to go there a number of times, and... You know, outside of there often are people, and all the way out in the old city as you're walking to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, our people are hawking stuff at you. I mean, it's just the way it is. Yeah. But when you walk in there, and you have, and by the way, the door, you can't stand up. You have to bend over to get through the door. So it's so, they didn't want uh, people riding horses in there. So they made a, a door that was, yeah, door that horses couldn't go in, you know, yeah. go in. Yeah. But uh, things get very reverent, except when uh, priests from different uh, liturgies, Catholic, are both doing Mass at the same time. You often find they are trying to shout over each other <laughs> and do the louder liturgy, because, <laughs> you know, there's been a rivalry between various uh, Middle Eastern Catholic groups. Uh, some of them actually live on the roof of the Holy Sepulchre some of these rival groups, hmm. and they still, you know, they still have a kind of a, you know, still have a quarrel going after all these years. Yeah, but, so, but uh, 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 it affected, it, it genuinely affected Muggeridge, right? Oh, yes. I mean, Muggeridge, uh, you know, Muggeridge's journey is one of the most interesting in the 20th century in terms of his becoming into the Church, because he began as a admirer of Stalin. Yeah. 
but then when he found out about Stalin killing three deliberately killing three million Ukrainians by starvation, he rethought his thought his position. Became one of the most ferocious critics of communism and, of course, of of Hitler. But this, you know, when he entered that church, like many who enter a Catholic cathedral of Notre Dame or St. Patrick's, there is a message being sent through all of your senses. Every sense of your body is feeling drawn upward. Is feeling drawn toward God. Mm-hmm. And that I think is that I think converts a lot of people, or at least starts them on the road to conversion by itself. Last question, Deal. What do you think? This steps out again. What do you think is the most prominent unwisdom of our time that your book rightly seeks to undo? Wow, what a great question! You know, it's hard to come up with a good question. That's really a good one. I think. It's the substitution of feeling states for truthfulness. Uh, And what I mean by that is uh, a lot of people have been taught to think that if they feel strongly enough about an opinion or a fact, that it's true. And so you end up getting people talking about, well, my truth is this. My truth is that. You know, whenever I hear that my truth thing, I want to cringe because it, it contradicts the very nature of truth. Yeah. Truth is supposed to be where things are. If I say that tree is 100 yards away and you say, well, my truth is that it's only 50. I mean, we have we can measure that. We have a standard that we can. But, you know, people don't want standards. They especially don't want standards about their behavior, about their moral lives. And so the whole my truth thing has become a way of defending uh, using your enthusiasms, your your extreme feelings as a justification to yourself and others of knowing the truth. Yeah. The book is 365 Days of Catholic Wisdom, A Treasury of Truth, Beauty, and Goodness. Deal Hudson, thank you for joining us. Well, Mark, it's been a pleasure, and thank you for having me on. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.